0: إن الحمد <سؤال> لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من الله فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu fi qissati thumama ibn Ufal, عندما aslam wa amara hun Nabiyus sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an yagh tasil, rawahu abdur razak wa asluhum muttafaqun alayhi. So we have this hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu regarding the story of thumama ibn Ufal, who became Muslim. So this is a story of thumama. The story of Thumama ibn Uthal when he became Muslim. And that the Prophet ﷺ commanded him to make a ghusl when he became Muslim. When he accepted Islam, then in this narration it indicates that after he left kufr and became Muslim, then at that point he was commanded to go and make a ghusl. This is narrated by Abdul Razzaq. Abdul Razzaq, one of the great scholars, Uh, One of the great scholars of the past, Abdur Razak ibn Hammam al-San'ani. and he is from the teachers of Al Imam Ahmad and Yahya ibn Ma'in, and he was from their level, and he was a great scholar, Abdur Razak ibn Hammam al-San'ani. He is the one who narrates this hadith, and the origin of this hadith, the origin of it, is actually in Al Bukhari and Muslim origin of the hadith is actually in Al-Bukhari or Muslim, regarding Thumama ibn Uthal, and sometimes it is narrated as Athal, Uthal, or Athal. So when he became Muslim, this narration seems to indicate that the Prophet ﷺ told him to go and make ghusl. However, there is some weakness in this narration, meaning that point of the Prophet ﷺ commanding him to go and make ghusl. The actual narration which is established is that the Prophet ﷺ himself didn't command him to make the ghusl. Rather it was Thumama ibn Uthal himself, when he became Muslim he decided to go and have a ghusl at that point. It was himself who went and did that. And it wasn't from the command of the Prophet صلى to have to go and do that. So, regarding this narration, uh Sheikh Fauzan حفظه ta'ala says, uh, "وأصله في صحيحين يعني أصل القصة في صحيحين. This story, originally the origin of it, the foundation of it, is in Al Bukhari and Muslim. والمسنِف ساقه في هذا الباب ليستدل به على أن الكافر إذا أسلم فإنّه يقتصر." And the author Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar has mentioned this hadith here in this chapter of Ghusl. Remember, we're in the chapter of the Ghusl. So he has put this hadith here to prove that a kafir, if he becomes Muslim, then he needs to make the Ghusl. فَيَكُونُ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْإِغْتِسَالِ Mashrua. So, uh, so that is one of the uh, legislative types of Ghusl, therefore it would indicate that that is one of the legislated types of ghusl. That a person who is kafir and becomes Muslim, that he should make ghusl. However, the shaykh says, وَلَكِنَّ الْحَدِيثَ فِيهِ نَظَرٌ There is some issue here though. The shaykh says, there is some issue in this hadith. Because the actual proven authentic narration is that the Prophet ﷺ didn't command him to go and make ghusl at that point. It was he himself, Thumamat ibn Uthal, he himself went and made the ghusl anyway. And he went and made the ghusl next to a wall close to the mosque. However, it is actually narrated also that there were other companions, waqadruwiya. عن من الصحابة أنهم It's narrated that there are other companions when they became Muslim that they also made the ghusl, Like Qais ibn Asim It's narrated that when he became Muslim he also made the ghusl at that point. فلذلك اختلف العلماء في غسل الكافر إذا أسلم That's why the scholars are differing they differed over this issue, that if a kafir becomes a Muslim, does he have to make a ghusl or not? There are three opinions. Al-Qawlul Awwal, wujubu l-iqtisali mutlaqan amalan bihada al Hadith, wa anfaalih, lima fihi anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam aqarra l-iqtisal. The first opinion is, that a kafir when he becomes Muslim, he makes the ghusl. That is an absolute ruling. He makes the ghusl. He makes the ghusl if a kafir becomes a Muslim. Why? Because of this narration. This narration indicates that Thummamat ibn Uthal went and made the ghusl when he became Muslim, and that the Prophet ﷺ acknowledged that. The Prophet ﷺ acknowledged that. He didn't prevent him, he didn't prohibit him, he didn't tell him this is wrong. When Thummamat ibn Uthal became Muslim and decided to go make ghusl, Upon becoming Muslim and entering into Islam, they say that the Prophet ﷺ acknowledged that, and he didn't prohibit it. So this would indicate that somebody who becomes Muslim, he should go and make ghusl at that point of entering into Islam. al qawl al-Thani, the second opinion though, عَادَمُ Mutlaqan That there is no ghusl. There is no ghusl for a kafir if he becomes Muslim. He doesn't have to make the ghusl. Why? لأنه لم يثبت أن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم أمر بذلك. Because, like we've just said, the actual authentic narration doesn't mention whatsoever that the Prophet Sallam commanded him to go and make the ghusl That was ثمامة ibn Ufal himself who went and did that. The actual authentic narration, the basis of it, which is in Bukhari and Muslim, does not indicate at all that the Prophet Sallam commanded him to go and make the ghusl It doesn't. So they said, therefore there is no ghusl, it's not obligatory or anything. A kafir, if he becomes Muslim, he doesn't have to make the ghusl. Al-Qawlu Thalith, the third opinion on the issue, At-Tafseel, tafsil. is some detail or description or clarification. إِنْ كَانَ هَذَا الْكَافِرُ الَّذِي أَسْلَمَ عَلَيْهِ مَا يُوْجِبُ الْإِغْتِسَالِ وَهُوَ فَإِنَّهُ يَغْتَسَلِ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ عَلَيْهِ مَا يُوْجِبُ الْإِغْتِسَالِ فلا, فَلَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ الْإِغْتِسَالِ وَإِنَّمَا يُسْتَحَبَّ The third opinion is that when a kafir becomes a Muslim, if he was in a state that would normally require a ghusl anyway, then he must make the ghusl. For example, if a kafir was in a state of major sexual impurity, in Janabah, And then after that, he became Muslim. So he is still in that state of Janaba from before becoming Muslim. Now that he has become Muslim, it's obligatory upon him, he needs to go and make the ghusl from that state of Janaba. So in that type of instance, when the kafir becomes a Muslim, and he is in a state whereby he would need a ghusl for that state anyway. So if he becomes a Muslim now, he needs to go and make the ghusl for that state. If however, he's upon a state of Uh, purity, meaning he's not upon a state of janaba or anything else which would dictate that ghusl is required. So if he becomes Muslim in that state, then he doesn't have to make any ghusl. So they say there's a difference here. If he's in a state that would require ghusl when he becomes Muslim, then he needs to go and make the ghusl. But if he becomes Muslim and he is in a state that wouldn't normally require ghusl anyway, then there's no need for him to go make the ghusl. Then the Shaykh says, وَلَكِنْ Shaykh Saleh al-Fawzan ta'ala says, in his explanation that the most, the most authentic of the statements, the most correct of the statements, is that a kafir when he becomes Muslim, does not have to make the ghusl. He does not have to make a ghusl hatta wa bil fal yajub even the shaykh says if that person was in a state that would normally require ghusl for example janaba even if he was in that state from before becoming muslim when he becomes muslim we know the ahadith al islam islam it covers and it wipes over everything that comes before it. So the moment he becomes a Muslim, everything prior to that is wiped out. It's gone, it's covered. So even if he was in a state of Janaba, once he becomes Muslim, that's all been erased. It's all been blocked now. So even that, the Shaykh says, there wouldn't really be need for a ghusl. وَلَمْ يَثْبُتْ الرَّسُولَ alayhi أَمَرَ الَّذِينَ بالاغتسال مع كَثْرَةِ الَّذِينَ فِي sallam. And the Shaykh says another evidence as to why a kafir doesn't have to make ghusl when he becomes Muslim is that there were many, many people who became Muslim at the time of the Prophet We know that. Many people entered into Islam. However, there isn't any narration anywhere which says that the Prophet Wasallam used to command any of them to go make ghusl when they became Muslim. There are no narrations that the Prophet Wasallam used to tell all of these people and there were many and many who became Muslim during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. Yet there isn't any narrations that indicate that the Prophet ﷺ told them to go and make ghusl when they became Muslim. So this is another point. (laughs) إِلَّمَا وَرَدَ فِي قِسْرَةِ ثُمَامَةِ ضَعِيفًا فَلَا يَكُنُوا اِغْتِسَالُ الْكَافِرِ إِذَا أَصْلَمَ ثَابِتًا عَنِ رَسَلَىٰ سَلَّمْ وَلَكِنَّهُ مُبَاحٍ فَإِذَا أَرَادَنِ يَغْتَسِلَ مِنْ بَابِ التَنَ so we don't have any authentic narration proving that a kafir if he becomes Muslim he must make the ghusl, the shaykh says. except this story of Thumamah ibn Uthal. However, even in this story, the fact that the Prophet commanded him to make the ghusl, that narration there's some issue in it. The authentic narration indicates that it was Thumamah ibn Uthal himself who decided to go and make the ghusl anyway. Not that the Prophet actually commanded him to do that. So therefore, the Sheikh says, what we can say is, that it's not proven or authentic that a kafir must make the ghusl when he becomes a Muslim. However, if he went and did that anyway, if a kafir when he becomes Muslim goes and makes the ghusl anyway, then that's mubah, it's permissible, it's good, it's allowed. It's good if he does that, for example, just for purity and for cleanliness, and to make himself clean and pure, okay, that's good, mubah, there's no problem but we cannot say it's an obligation, and neither can we say that it's prohibited. It's allowed, it's mubah. If a kafir becomes Muslim, he goes and makes the ghusl. But it's not a commandment that he must do that, and at the same time you can't say it's a prohibition that he's not allowed to do that. So it's something that a kafir can do when he becomes Muslim, but upon entering into Islam to make the ghusl. After that, عن ابي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه ان رسول الله صلى الله وسلم قال غسل ala واجب على كل محتلم اخرجه السبع وعن صبرا ابن جندب رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من توضأ يوم الجمعه فبها ونعمه ومن فالغسل افضل رَوَاهُ wa وَحَسَّنَهُ تِرْمَذِي So the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي anhu he says that the Prophet ﷺ said having a ghusl on Fridays is obligatory upon every uh, individual of age meaning everybody who has reached the age of puberty everybody who has responsibility on their shoulders everybody who is a mukallaf everybody who is now commanded with the regulations and the laws of Islam then upon him is to have to make the ghusl on Fridays obligatory, wajib. That's what the hadith of Abu Sa'id al Khudri says. The hadith of Samara ibn Jundab, however, radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet said, Whoever makes wudu on Jum'ah, whoever makes wudu on the day of Jum'ah and then goes to the Jum'ah pray, etc., whoever makes wudu, then that is more than enough. فَبِهَا وَنِعْمَتِ Meaning, that is more than enough. Whoever makes wudu on the day of Friday, that is more than enough. وَمَنِ اغْتَسَلَ And whoever makes ghusl, فَالْغُسْلُ أَفْضَلُ And whoever does make the full ghusl, then that is better. So the second hadith says, whoever makes wudu on a Friday, that is more than enough. But whoever makes the ghusl, that is better. So what do these two hadith mean? So these two hadith are talking about the issue of ghusl on a Friday. The ghusl on a Friday. What is the ruling of making the ghusl on a Friday? So as for the hadith of Abu Sa'id, which says that every individual of age, every individual who the responsibilities of the religion are upon, then he must make the ghusl, wajib. وَغُسْلُ الْجُمْعَةِ And the ghusl of the jum'ah is الْإِغْتِسَالُ فِي جَمِيعِ الْبَدْلِ مِنْ أَجْلَ الْجُمْعَةِ That a person washes all of his body, just like a ghusl. He makes the ghusl, he washes all of his body for the sake of Friday. Due to the Friday, due to the jum'ah. Due to the jum'ah. فَإِضَافَتُهُ إِلَى الْجُمْعَةِ لِأَنَّ الْجُمْعَةِ سَبَبُهُ So it has been associated to the jum'ah because jum'ah is the reason for it. This is a ghusl that you make on Fridays for the sake of the Friday, due to the Friday. It is made for the purpose of the Friday. Uh, That's the reasoning. When we say the purpose of the Friday or the sake of the Friday, we mean the reasoning for it is the Friday. This worship, this act of obedience to Allah is done for the reasoning of the day of Friday. Uh, So this is obligatory, this hadith says. Wajib. الوجوب في اللغة أصله السقوط سقوط الشيء على الأرض قال تعالى فاذكر اسم الله عليها سواف أي قائمة معقولة اليد اليمين فإذا وجبت جنوبها يعني سقطت على الأرض ميتا بسبب الذكاء ومنه أيضا الوجبة وهي الصوت الذي ينشأ عن سقوط شيء. يقال سمعنا وجبة يعني سمعا سَمِعْنَا صَوْتًا لِشَيْءٍ سقط هَذَا فِي اللغة. The Sheikh gives the explanation of the word وُجُوب obligatory and wajib in the Arabic language linguistically speaking but then he also explains what it means islamically and islamically is what we need here now and that is أَمَّا الْوَاجِبْ الأصوليين الْأُسُولِيِّينَ فَهُوَ مَا يُثَابُ فَاعِلَهُ تاركه. Then that is something that somebody who does it is rewarded and somebody who abandons it is sinning. Something which is obligatory, the definition definition of it is, the definition of something wajib is, whoever does it is rewarded and whoever abandons it is sinning, is punishable. Whoever does it is in line for reward and whoever abandons it is in line for punishment. That is something obligatory, wajib. So قوله على كل محتلم Upon every individual who is muhtalim. muhtalim meaning that he can have wet dreams. Meaning he has reached the age of puberty. Every individual who has reached the age of puberty, who has reached the age of taklif, that the responsibilities of the religion are now upon him. Then, whether that's male or female, uh, then it is upon that person obligatory that he must make the ghusl on a Friday. As for somebody who is younger than the age of puberty, then he is outside of this ruling. Somebody who is a child, then it's not obligatory according to this hadith. And that's because of the other narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib, al an The pen has been lifted from three. Saghir Hatta Yahtalima. One of them is the child or the young person until he has a wet dream, i.e. until he reaches the age of puberty. So, this hadith says that the person who has reached the age of puberty, male or female, then upon them is obligatory to have the ghusl on a Friday. But, but uh, and by the way, this hadith is narrated by the seven of them, the seven of them, which is Al Bukhari and Muslim, and Abu Daud and Nasai, Al Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, and Al Imam Ahmed. Seven. All of them narrated this hadith that it is obligatory upon a person of the age of puberty who can have wet dreams, has the responsibilities upon his shoulders of the religion, obligatory that he must make the ghusl on a Friday. But then we have the hadith of Samura. In the hadith of Samura Ibn Jundub anhu, the Prophet wasallam said, whoever makes wudu on a Friday... Meaning for the Jumu'ah prayer, you get up, you make wudu, for the Jumu'ah prayer. فَبِهَا وَنِعْمَتْ Then that is more than enough. فَبِهَا وَنِعْمَتْ يعني نعمة فَعَلَ بِأَخْذِهِ بسنة. Meaning that is more than enough, that is excellent. What he has done there is excellent. It is more than enough. That he has made wudu to go to the Jumu'ah prayer. The wudu is more than enough. But then the hadith says, whoever does make the ghusl, then that is better. So the two hadith, they both seem to indicate that making ghusl is something which is legislated. They both indicate that making ghusl on a Friday is legislated. It is something which is proven in the sunnah. But the difference is, the issue is, even though making the ghusl on a Friday is legislated, it is in the Sunnah, no doubt. What's the ruling though? Is it legislated as something obligatory? Or is it legislated as something mustahab? Because the second hadith seems to indicate it is only mustahab. وَمَنِغْتَى huwa Whoever makes ghusl, then that's better. That's all it says. Whoever makes ghusl, that's better. So this hadith seems to indicate it is mustahab. It is recommended, it is good. But the first hadith seems to indicate it is obligatory. So even though both of them indicate it is definitely legislated, that's agreed upon consensus, the issue is, is it legislated as something obligatory, or is it legislated as something mustahab? So this is where the scholars, they differ. The first opinion is, wajib, that it is obligatory. The first opinion is that the ghusl on a Friday is obligatory. And that is because of the first narration that we just mentioned. الجمعة, the ghusl of the Friday wajib ala Is obligatory upon everybody of age. Everybody of the age of puberty or responsibility, obligatory. So some of the scholars, they took this narration and said, therefore the ruling is, that making the ghusl on a Friday for the Jum'ah is obligatory. The second opinion is that it is mustahab. Because they took the second hadith, the hadith of Samurah, where it says that whoever makes wudu, that's more than enough. But if you make the ghusl, that's better. So they said, in that case, it's only mustahab. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever makes the ghusl, that's better. Not obligatory, better. So they said, it is mustahab. Um, and this is actually the statement of the majority of the scholars The majority of the scholars, they say that the ghusl on a Friday is mustahab حيث إنهم جعلوا حديث سمر مفسراً لحديث بسعيد وحديث بسعيد مؤكداً لحديث وليس من باب الوجوب كأن تقول زيارتك حق واجب أنك إن لم تزره فإنك they say that the hadith of Samurah, the second hadith, that is an explanation of the first hadith. The first hadith says that it is wajib to show to you the importance of the, of the, of the ghusl on a Friday. To show to you the importance of the ghusl on a Friday. But the hadith of Samurah indicates to you the reality of the ruling, which is that it is mustahab. Very important and very good to do, but only mustahab. And the sheikh gives an example. It's like if you say to your friend, you must visit me tomorrow. Wajib, you've got to come to my house tomorrow. I'm going to make dinner for you tomorrow. Wajib, must, you must come to my house tomorrow. What does that mean? When you say that to somebody, you say it sometimes. You say to somebody, you say to your friend, you've got to come to my house tomorrow. Wajib, you've got to come. It means you really want that person to come. You really want him to come. But if he doesn't come, is it a sin? Is it a sin if something happens and he can't make it, he he can't come? It's no sin, it's not a sin. It just indicates that it is highly recommended. You really want him to come and you are really encouraging him to come. You must come, wajib, you got to come to my house. You're encouraging him a lot, but if he doesn't come, there's no sin. And that's what the Shaykh says this hadith means. The first one says, wajib, obligatory, you should do the ghusl, you must do the ghusl. But the second hadith says it's only mustahab. So the meaning of all of that, that it's something you really should do, highly recommended. You should do it. But if you don't do it, it's not a sin. It's mustahab and highly recommended. And that is the statement of majority of the scholars. There is a third opinion. There is a third opinion. Al-Qawla Thalith al tafsil, And this one they give more detail. huwa anna man kana fihi ونحو ذلك فإنه يجب عليه أن يغتسل من أجل إزالة هذه الأشياء لكي لا يتأذى بها الناس الذين يحضرون معه الصلاة الجمعة أما من كان نظيفا وليست فيه هذه الأشياء المؤذية فإنه يستحب له الاغتسال ولا يجب عليه وهذا اختيار شيخ الإسلام بن تيمية رحمه الله وهذا الرأي فيه جمع بين الحديثين وهو توجيه جيد حيث إنهم كانوا في أول الإسلام يلبسون الصوف والخشن من الثياب وذلك لضيق معايشهم ثم انهم بعد ذلك يعملون فتظهر منه رَائِحَةُ العرق وغير ذلك فما انهم يحضرون صلاه الجمعه فيتاذى غيرهم من رائحتهم فلذا امرهم الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم and this is the opinion of Sheikh al-Islam opinion says that if the person is in a state of not being clean maybe he smells maybe he's been playing football for example on a friday morning for example so he's sweating or he's been working some physical work so he is sweating and he is smelly and he's not clean then in that case he must make the ghusl in that case it becomes obligatory to make the ghusl before going to Jumaha. so that the other people they are not affected by his bad smell Maybe he's been sweating from working physical work, moving boxes, things like that. Maybe he's been doing some physical sport Friday morning. So he might be smelling or there might be sweat. There might be something like that which is making his appearance not clean, not nice smelling. So in that instance, it is obligatory for that person to make ghusl before going to Jumu'ah. So that the other congregation, the masjid will be full. They are not affected by the bad smell from this individual then. If, however, a person is upon purity, or uh, rather cleanliness, a person is upon cleanliness, he's clean, he's pure, he's fresh, he smells nice, then that person, he doesn't have to make a specific ghusl for the Jumu'ah. He can just make the wudu and go, and that's enough. And if he was to make the ghusl, that's mustahab, it's good, but he doesn't have to. So in that way, both hadith are applicable. The hadith which says it's obligatory is referring to a person who is in need of that due to smelling bad or having some other odor or having worked physically or done something of that nature. So therefore it's obligatory upon him to clean himself and make his smell nice. As for if a person is already upon that state, he's already smelling nice and clean anyway, then he doesn't have to make the ghusl, but it's mustahab. So you see that's the third opinion. The first opinion was, you must obligatory upon everyone. Second opinion was, it's not an obligation at all. It's only mustahab. Third opinion is, there's a difference. If the person is in a state where he needs a ghusl, because he's smelling bad or something of that nature, then it's obligatory before he goes to Juma'ah. If he's not, then it's mustahab and he doesn't have to. But if he does, then that's something good and rewarding. Then the Shaykh says, The Shaykh says, there are two questions remaining. There are two issues remaining regarding the ghusl on the day of Friday. Firstly, مَتَى يَغْتَسِلُ الْإِنسَانُ يَوْمَ الْجُمْعَةِ When should the person make the ghusl for Friday, for the Jum'ah? When should the person make the ghusl for the Jum'ah prayer? Because the hadith doesn't tell us. The hadith, they just say, you have to make a ghusl for Fridays. Or it is mustahab to make the ghusl for Fridays. It doesn't tell us the exact time when you should do it. So, the hadith seems to indicate, فظاهره أنه عام في اليوم كله وأنه The hadith are general. They just say a ghusl on Fridays. So maybe somebody might come and make the ghusl after Asr. He might have a ghusl on a Friday after Asr. Or after Jum'ah. The ahadith don't seem to prevent that. The ahadith seem to indicate that that might be okay. Because the ahadith are general. They are very general. They just say ghusl on Fridays. They don't say specifically before the Jum'ah prayer. So maybe somebody might do it after Jum'ah or after Asr. And the hadith technically would encompass that. And it would be okay. However, But the correct opinion, the proper opinion the Shaykh says is, that the ghusl should be done before a person goes to the Jum'ah prayer. That's when the ghusl should be done. Because that is where the objective is fulfilled. That a person purifies himself, cleans himself, makes himself beautiful in smell, in fragrance, and he is prepared for the gathering of the Jum'ah where there are going to be many Muslims. He prepares himself and makes his smell beautiful, and fragrance beautiful, and body clean. That is one of the objectives fulfilled in that case. That he is prepared to go and sit and congregate with the remainder of the Muslims. So that's why the Rajih, the Rajih, the correct, the strong opinion is, the proper uh, time to do the ghusl is before the Jumu'ah prayer. Even though the ahadith seem to indicate that it's general. And there is actually, there is actually a narration in Bukhari and Muslim which indicates this. There is an evidence in case somebody says, Well, why? The hadith don't indicate that in any way. So, even if I have a ghusl after Jum'ah or after Asr, I've done what the hadith have recommended. But we say to them, Actually, there is a narration in Sahih al Bukhari and Sahih Muslim which indicates that you're supposed to do it before the Jum'ah, and that's the point of it, before Jum'ah. The hadith says, If one of you is coming to Jum'ah, when you come to the Jum'ah, Make the ghusl when you come to the Jum'ah, When one of you comes to Jumu'ah, make the ghusl. So this hadith indicates clearly the ghusl is before the Jumu'ah prayer. So the Sheikh says, عند الذهاب إلى صلاة آَكِدْ لأنه به المقصود وإن كان الحديث يحتمل أنه في صائر اليوم. ولهذا يقول لما على يوم إلى and this is what the fuqhahadi said, that the ghusl, it is before the Jum'a, that is when the, uh, uh, the, the assurity of the ghusl is to be made before the Jum'a. The second question is, that's the first question, or that is the first issue, that the ghusl is to be done before the Jum'a prayer. thani the Hadith says that the person who has a wet dream who has reached the age of puberty, then upon him is to make the ghusl. The question is do the women come into this ruling? are the females and the women in this ruling of having to make the ghusl on Fridays? والجواب, and the answer is that it doesn't include the women. This ruling does not include the women. If, however, a woman is going to go to the Jum'ah, if a woman is going to go to the Jum'ah, then it's the same. It's mustahab for her to make the ghusl as well. For the same reasoning, to be clean and to be of good uh, fragrance from her body, not that you wear any additional fragrance, that's not permissible but the natural fragrance is clean, and the person is clean, then if a woman is going to go to the Jum'ah, she similarly can make the ghusl, and there's no harm in that. But if she's not going to go to the Jum'ah, she will remain at home and pray Dhuhr, then there's no need for the ghusl then. Then that ruling isn't applicable there. But if the woman is going to go to the Jum'ah, then yes, then the same ruling can be applicable, that it's good to make the ghusl before she goes. So in these ahadith, what can we benefit Firstly, the Sheikh says, "Fadlu Yomul Jumah, The greatness and the virtue of Yomul jumah Inna al Fi. To the extent that the Prophet ﷺ legislated the ghusl to be done on Fridays, that indicates the greatness and the virtue of the day of Friday. And also, there's a Hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, there is not a single day that the sun arises, that the sun has arisen, or that it has set, other than on Fridays. The Friday, the Friday is the best day. That is the narration of the Prophet ﷺ. Also, it's narrated that Adam ﷺ was created on a Friday, and that was the day that he entered into Paradise on a Friday, and that was the day that he exited from uh, from Paradise on a Friday. And that is the day when the day of judgment is going to be held, is going to occur on a Friday. When though, we don't know. But on a Friday though. وَفِيهِ ijaba, And there's also an hour in Fridays where the dua is answered. And so all of these things, they are from Fridays. All of these narrations, all of these virtues are things that occur on Fridays. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah taala he mentioned in Zad al Ma'ad. ليوم الجمعة وثلاثين he said there are thirty three specific acts or specific items or issues linked to Fridays. thirty three specific virtues or specific items linked to Fridays. العلماء مصنفات في فضائل يوم الجمعة. and some of the scholars have actually written books on the virtues of Fridays. The second issue is that it is definitely legislated to have the ghusl on Fridays. We've seen though there's a difference of opinion. Some scholars say obligatory and others say mustahab. And the majority of the scholars they say it is mustahab. And like we saw from al Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says if the person needs to make the ghusl because of bad smells etc. then it's obligatory. But if he was clean anyway then it is mustahab. Also we've seen that this is something specific to men. This is something specific to men, because it mentions about the wet dream, and that would indicate the men. However, if the women do go to the Jum'ah, then they similarly can make the ghusl also. Also, there is an indication in this hadith concerning that a person should always be upon cleanliness. Just like the other hadith says, at Shatrul Iman. Purification is half of the iman of a believer. It is half of your iman. So a person should always be clean, he should always be pure. And that's what these hadith, they indicate that a person, if he's going to go to the Jum'ah, he's going to congregate with all of the other Muslims, that they should go in a state of purity, of cleanliness, of good fragrance, of beautification, so that when they go there, they're not going to harm other people with bad smells or bad fragrance or smells from their clothes. So it would indicate that this uh, cleanliness is something which is highly recommended in Islam, and it's something which is highly uh, mentioned within Islam that a person he keeps himself clean and beautified for when going to the masjid and mixing with the other people and the other Muslims. So that is the issue of the ghusl on Fridays. The next hadith says, "An Ali radiAllahu anhu" said. (laughs) كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم القرآن ما لم That the Prophet صلى he used to recite the Quran to us. As long as he was not in a state of impurity, janaba, major ritual impurity, and this is narrated by the five, and the wording is of Tirmidhi. He also uh, declared it to be Hasan uh, Hasanahu. حسن, and Ibn Hibban authenticated it. So what is the issue here now? In this hadith, Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu says that the Prophet used to recite the Qur'an to us. And he used to teach us the Qur'an. And he used to teach us the Sunnah. So the companions, they used to receive and gain that knowledge from the Prophet Gain the knowledge of the Qur'an. So the Prophet used to recite the Qur'an to them and teach them the Qur'an similarly teach them the sunnah. So this indicates the virtue of the companions that they learnt directly from the Prophet And it also indicates that knowledge is to be taken from the scholars. It is to be taken from those people firmly grounded in knowledge. Just like the companions, no doubt, they took from their best of creation, the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. So Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu says that the Prophet wasallam used to recite the Qur'an and teach us the Qur'an as long as he was not in a state of Janabah. If he was in a state of Janabah, then he would not recite and teach us the Qur'an. So this indicates that a person who is in a state of janaba, a person who is in a state of janaba, that he should not recite the Qur'an. And he should not teach the Qur'an. Until he makes the ghusl. The hadith will indicate that a person who is in a state of janaba, he should not read the Quran or recite the Quran or teach the Quran until he makes ghusl. Because the hadith says the Prophet ﷺ used to teach us the Quran unless he was in a state of janaba. Meaning, in a state of janaba, he would not teach them the Quran. So the hadith indicates that the Quran should not be taught or read if a person is in the state of janaba. Uh, so then, this hadith indicates the ruling regarding a person in the state of Janabah. And there are other things too that a person who is in the state of Janabah should not do. For example, sitting in the masjid, staying in the masjid whilst in a state of Janabah, then that is something that should not be done. Similarly, we mentioned some of the narrations about touching the mushaf whilst being in a state of Janabah. Uh, and that's going to come in more detail later on as well. So this hadith indicates what? It indicates firstly the virtue of the companions because they used to seek their knowledge directly from the Prophet ﷺ. Also it indicates It indicates that a person who is upon minor impurity, meaning somebody who's broken wind or he went to sleep and his wudu broke, those minor types of impurity, not the major impurity. So a person who is upon minor impurity, meaning his wudu was broken, he can still read the Qur'an and he can still teach the Qur'an without touching the Mus'haf though. Without touching the Mus'haf, he can read the Qur'an and he can teach the Qur'an. Because the hadith indicates that the Prophet ﷺ, He never used to prevent himself from teaching the Qur'an to the companions except in one state. Except in the state of major impurity, (janaba). So that indicates in the minor impurity there was no problem. So somebody whose wudu was broken, he broke wind or he went to sleep, you can still read the Qur'an, you can still teach the Qur'an, but without touching the mushaf. If you're not in a state of wudu, then without touching the mushaf, you can still teach the Qur'an and learn the Qur'an and... Uh, read the Quran. The final two hadith in this section then. وعنبي سعيد the رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله the إذا أتى أحدكم أهله ثم Quran is saying that the Quran is saying that the Quran is saying that the Quran is saying مِنْ غَيْرِ أَنْ Hadith number 117 indicates the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي الله عنه. it says that the Prophet said if a person has intercourse with his family, with his wife if a person has intercourse with his wife then he wishes to have intercourse again in between the person should go and make wudu. Meaning if a person has intercourse twice, at the same time, then in between, after the first intercourse, he should go and make the wudu, and then come back, and if he wishes to return and have the intercourse again, then that is okay. But in between, the wudu should be made. In between the two acts of intercourse. And in the narration of al-hakim it says, because that is, Uh, better for an individual in terms of his uh, energy and his ability. In terms of his energy and ability, it is better that he goes and refreshes and makes wudu in between before returning uh, uh, to engage in intercourse once again. So this is from the rulings of the junub. This is from the rulings of a person who is in a state of janaba. Janaba, Arada Wudu. So a person who is in a state of janaba, which is obviously the state that you will be in if you have had intercourse, you are in a state of janaba. Then that person, if he wishes to have intercourse again, then the hadith indicates that you must make the wudu. Not that a person has to go mikhusal from the first janaba, then come and have intercourse again, then make me'husal again. That is not the ruling. The ruling is that if a person has had an intercourse and he is in a state of janaba, then he wishes to have intercourse again, he should go and make the wudu in between. Uh, and in the narration of al-hakim, like we said, the wisdom is given behind that, which is that it causes greater levels of energy for that individual if he was to make the wudu in between. Uh, so that is what an individual does if he wishes to have uh, repetitive intercourse, that wudu is made in between the act. The final narration indicates, الاربع, ونماجة, The hadith of Aisha رضي الله عنها, that the Prophet ﷺ used to go to sleep whilst he was in a state of janabah without touching water. Without touching water. Meaning that this is also from the rulings linked to janaba, and the hadith seems to indicate the hadith seems to indicate that the Prophet ﷺ, after having intercourse and being in a state of janaba, would go to sleep without touching water, meaning without making ghusl or even without making wudu. That he would be in a state of janaba and then he would go to sleep even without wudu, let alone the ghusl. That's what the hadith seems to indicate. لكن الصحيح أنه لا أن فقط. جمعًا بين الأحاديث الأخرى But there are other narrations which indicate that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, if he was in a state of جنابة, that he would make wudu at least before going to sleep. Even if the ghusl wasn't made, he would make wudu at least. So to combine between the narrations, the correct position is, that if a person is in a state of janaba, he has had intercourse, then if he wants to go to sleep, he doesn't have to make the ghusl, but he must make the wudu at least. He should make the wudu at least. And he can go to sleep. Then at the time of fajr, when he awakens, he can make the ghusl and pray fajr. But he must be upon a state of wudu at least. That's what the narrations from the Prophet ﷺ indicate. But it is not an obligation that he must make the ghusl before going to sleep. The obligation which seems to be indicated from the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ is that he should make the wudu at least before going to sleep. As for this narration, it is actually weak. The one that says he never even used to make wudu before going to sleep. That narration itself has some issue in it and it is not uh, authentic. But the authentic narrations indicate that you make the wudu before going to sleep. Um, فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ أَنَّهُ يَجُوزُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَابَ So the correct position is, the correct opinion is that a person who is upon Janaba can go to sleep without ghusl. But it is mustahab. We said obligatory a moment ago, rectify that and say it is mustahab. The shaykh says it is mustahab that he makes the wudu. But if he did make the full ghusl before going to sleep, that is better. So there are three possibilities that a person who has had intercourse can do before going to sleep. There are three possibilities. The first possibility is that he makes the full ghusl. He makes a full ghusl and then goes to sleep. And that is the best. That is the best thing to do. The second thing is that a person goes to sleep without ghusl and without wudu. Nothing. And that is actually permissible. It is permissible. And there isn't sin in that. It's not sinning if you do that. If you have intercourse and then go to sleep without ghusl and even without wudu. It's not a sin to do that. And the third situation is that he makes just the wudu and goes to sleep and that is obviously better than going to sleep without anything so you have three situations either you make the full ghusl and go to sleep that is the best or you make at least the wudu and that is good or you don't do anything and that is permissible but obviously the least of the three because then you're going to go to sleep in a state of impurity in a state of janaba. so it's not the best of the states, but it is permissible and there is no sin. But it's better to at least make wudu before going to sleep, and even better and the best thing is to make the full ghusl before going to sleep. So all three are permissible, all three are permissible whether you make the full ghusl, whether you just make the wudu, or whether you do nothing. But the best is to make the ghusl, the second best is to make at least the wudu, and then the third option is that you don't do anything, uh, but they are all options. But the best is a person should make the ghusl or at least make wudu. So that's what we'll conclude upon today. Inshallah ta'ala. We'll carry on from next week, Saturday, uh, with the remainder of the Ahadith regarding the janaba and the ghusl. And there's not much left. Maybe we will, we will even finish this chapter next week. And then the chapter after that is about tayammum. How to make the tayammum properly. When is it allowed? What do you do? Inshallah, maybe after next week, we might start that. Next week, maybe we'll finish this chapter, inshallah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa